The way back is the same way we left. There is no other way, regardless of the convoluted solutions proffered. When there was only the voice of the Creator in the Garden of Eden, it was called Paradise, and Adam and Eve were immortal. They had eternal life. When the second voice spoke, Satan's voice, and when that voice was chosen over God's voice, man was ejected from paradise and died spiritually that very day. His immortality was lost, and he also soon died physically. The final events that took place before Adam and Eve's ejection are recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Paradise is lost when, in an act of unbelief, God's word is rejected for the second voice in the garden. These cherubims, these heavyweight celestial creatures, are seen again in Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 22. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Note that they hover over the mercy seat, where God's mercy and instructions are gained for the children of Israel. These cherubims resided in the most holy place in God's tabernacle. The high priest would enter here once a year to make special atonement for the Hebrew people. This mercy seat that the cherubims protected sat atop the Ark of the Covenant. The word Ark in the term Ark of the Covenant is seen similarly earlier in the Word of God as Noah's Ark and as the Ark of Bulrushes that the baby Moses was placed in, placed in, excuse me, which floated down the river to save his life. In both instances, the Ark was a housing of protection. Another way to state Ark of the Covenant would be protection of the contract. In the Old Testament, this contract was sealed by the blood sacrifice of a clean animal. This concept was a shadow and type of the Christ to come, who would break the back of Satan's spell by shedding of his sinless blood and bringing repentant sinners into the new covenant or contract with God through the born-again experience. In order to gain the protection of God's contract, one must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and turn from his sins. All of these things take place at the mercy seat. In order then to gain the mercy of God and enter back into the covenant of life and life eternally, one must believe the word of God and repent and forsake sin. It's the 180 degree principle, the principle of the opposites. Mankind fell from grace in the Garden of Eden through unbelief and disobedience. We were cast out of paradise and became mortal. Cherubims were posted to block our rebellious return to this place of beautiful eternal life. 
These cherubims are seen again protecting the way back to paradise, hovering over the mercy seat and ark of the covenant, into which only the believers who have repented and forsaken sin can enter. This is the 180 principle. The way back is the same way we left. Are you born again? Would you like to enter this place of protection today and rejoice in eternal life when you leave this place? Click on the Further with Jesus for the best day of your life. Today is the day of salvation. Now for today's subject. God said in his word, John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. God said, Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. God said, John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God said, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man said, There is no God, therefore no supernatural Bible, no sin, no judgment day, etc., and that man in fact created God as a psychological crutch. Now the record. In spite of carnaldom's incessant railings and mockings flung at the God of the Bible, man consistently attempts to mimic and replace identical God-given statutes, principles, and his creation plan with man's own. Man's solutions, unfortunately, are seriously flawed and quite deadly. Man is trying to re-enter paradise some other way. Whether it's the field of psychology's attempt to exercise the world of the Bible's concept of sin, replacing it with whatever is acceptable to the group at large, or their rejection of Jesus as the solution for depression, anxiety, and devil possession, for example, exchanging Jesus for drugs, shock, and vacuous talk, or the field of psycho, excuse me, or the field of sociology attempting to remedy domestic problems, such as illegitimate children or sexually transmitted diseases, void of God's formula of holiness and abstinence, or the religious world's thousands of spiritual options, absent of Jesus Christ, who is the only way, the truth, and the life, regardless of the issue, they continue time after monotonous time to seek another way. As mentioned before, we were created to live forever, but because of the entry of sin, we all die. The only way back to eternal life is through the blood of Christ. Christians put off mortality and put on immortality at the time of the first death. This is the simple truth of the issue, but man, true to form, will seek another way. On this website, there are numerous features dealing with Adam and Eve, the father and mother of mankind, and the concept of aging, and science's quest to retard and ultimately destroy death. At the end of this feature, you will find a list of subjects for your review. There are many organizations and foundations, as well as medicine in general, committed to the principle of extending life, and they have experienced some success. Those on the cutting edge of life extension research are known as gerontologists. One man in this field, esteemed by many and dubbed a rogue researcher by others, is Cambridge University's Dr. Aubrey de Grey. This biogerontologist raised many eyebrows when he said that some people alive today could reach the ripe old age of a thousand years or older. At a recent international conference, 
Dr. DeGray and his colleagues, flanked by scientists of some stature in the field of gerontology, laid out his seven-step plan. According to science writer Thomas Bartlett, it was the seven steps to eternal life. His plan included uh, such things as growing new human tissue and organs, using a patient's own cells, stem cell therapy, sci- uh, excuse me, cry- uh, cryogenics, cloning, etc. De Grey's thousand-year claim noted above follows this line of reasoning, which was published by Life Extension magazine in the February 2006 issue. The author asked Dr. De Grey the following question. If SENS, Strategies for Engineering Negligible Senescence, is successful within the next 30 years, how long do you expect to live? What would be your likely cause of death? D. Gray, well, I'll define successful first. I'll choose it to mean what you said in your introduction, which is essentially the addition of about 50 years to the healthy lifespan of someone who is 50 already when the treatments are begun. People who get these treatments will mostly live to a thousand barring nuclear catastrophe because in those 50 years, the therapies will improve enough to give those same people another 50 or more years and so on. I'll be 72 in less than 30 years, so I have less chance, but I'm a pretty youthful 42, so maybe I will survive long enough to benefit, end of quote. Extending life will always have its sparkle and its trillions to reach its goal. The DeGray hypothesis flies in the face of those of the carnal ilk who mock the Bible record of 969-year-old Methuselah or the average 911 years of age before the flood in the days of Noah. As always, man searching for truth always brings him to the city of God, but he can't find the door. 2 Timothy 3.7 reads, Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The following statement was printed by Thomas Bartlett in his article referenced earlier, The Man Who Would Murder Death. The man he is quoting is an ardent supporter of DeGray. His name is Graham Pollock, and he said, It is not that the battle against aging will be over shortly, but there will be enough steady progress so that we can live forever, more or less, end of quote. Man will continue to seek to enter paradise some other way, but unfortunately, there are cherubims who bar the way. God said in his word, John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is the same, excuse me, is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. God said, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. God said, John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God said, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Man said, There is no God. Therefore, no supernatural Bible, no sin, no judgment day, etc., and that man, in fact, created God as a psychological crutch. Now you have the record.